0: Hello and welcome to Author Audit, the show where you get a peek into the creative process and minds of your favorite writer. Today, our special guest is Fiona Wimber, the author of Would you like to go ahead and introduce your book, please? Bridge of the Gods. All right, wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on today, Fiona.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: We're going to start with some warm up questions. Would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself and explain a little bit of your background to the audience? So I'm
1: from a town in Washington called Vancouver, it's right on the border with, with Portland, Oregon. And it used to be a small town up until a couple of years ago when it really started expanding, but it still has that vibe and we're very in tune with uh, local tribes. And that was really the basis of the book, was local Native American uh, myths and legends.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. All right, so what's a fact about you that nobody would guess?
1: I was autistic. I was born with autism, diagnosed with autism, and actually outgrew it, but I'm actually still considered on the spectrum.
0: Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, who was your role model as a kid and why? I had a few role models, but I think for me, the
1: biggest role model that I had would have that the one that I think that had the most influence on me later on would have to be my uncle, my mom's mm-hmm. brother, one of my mom's brothers. Um, and he's the one who got me into uh, sailing, which I still do to this day. Um, if that, is, that is the sport that I compete in.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: hmm
0: well um what did you want to do when you grew up like because in, in school a lot of the times they're like oh you can grow up to be anything you want and some kids say oh i want to be a ballerina or others say oh i want to be a veterinarian what did you want to do How did you end up pursuing
1: i actually wanted to be <laughs> a volcanologist um and i had an interest in that from as long as i can remember even in the first grade i was i was studying books on volcanoes and it's still something I enjoy studying. But when I got into high school and classes started becoming more interesting, um, mm-hmm. I actually started to enjoy history. Um, and so that actually became my passion is, is history, but it was maritime history. And so that's, that's my area of study
0: now. That's really cool. Well, did that, did that have any play into the way that you wrote your book at all? I
1: think it definitely did. And I think it'll almost certainly play an even larger role in the sequels, uh, especially the third one upcoming. The second one will be out in September of this year. And then the third one will be out May the following year. And definitely, I think it does play a role. Because when I write, I write in the way that my history teachers taught me to write. I and I have a tendency. To, I have a tendency to do that. Um, it's a hard habit to break. I don't really. I don't really see any reason to break it. Um, <laughs> and I think the things that I focus on in the books as well. Uh, there's certain. There's certain aspects of the book where I. I really do s- emphasis on history, be it the character's personal history. Or even just the history of 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 the book itself. The, in the it, bridge of the gods, I actually really keep closely to the spirit of the original myth um, that inspired the book, and I think that's that is that is one of the things is I try to be as accurate as I can.
0: And I mean that's that's super important to portray other people's backgrounds in the, the most accurate manner, and it's wonderful that you were able to take your creative liberties, but also to still, like, represent these groups that need representation. That's that's really amazing. So would you like to go a little bit more into depth of the story that's in your book?
1: So Bridge of the Gods is a long-standing myth that is actually very well known in my area, in in the Pacific Northwest. And Mm -hmm. it's... There's various versions, depending upon which tribe you talk to on both sides of the river, in fact, in both Washington and Oregon. And the the, the basic of it is, the, the basic, the most common version that you will hear across the West Coast is there were two brothers, chiefs of opposite mm-hmm. tribes, mooring tribes, and they were both sons of the great God, And so they they themselves were immortal. They were like demigods, kind of. And the two chiefs would constantly fight with each other. And then their father, the god, had enough of that. And he took away man's ability to make fire. And the only fire left burning in the land was man by an old woman. Yeah. Yeah. And so everyone from far and wide would have to come and share it in her fire, be it for warmth, to cook their food and whatnot. And in return for her, eventually, eventually the God gave back the ability to make fire, but he needed to, re, he needed to reward the woman for her loyalty and for her, her faith. And so he asked, what is it you want? I'll give you anything you want and she said she wanted eternal youth and beauty she wanted to be like the chiefs eternally young eternally gorgeous and he granted it to her and her beauty soon became legendary and of course eventually were to reach the chiefs and so each came to her and each courted her but she couldn't choose between them one chief was strong and handsome and the other was charming And she couldn't choose. And so the chiefs went to war again. And the god finally had had enough. And he turned the two chiefs and the woman into mountains. One chief into Mount Hood, which is a very tall peak in Oregon. One into Mount Mount Adams, which is another large peak in Washington. And then the old woman became Mount St. Helens.
0: Oh, interesting. So, wait—is mm-hmm. that where that
1: got the name? Or did they... No. So they they had native names. The yeah. chiefs—the no, chiefs were known as Wais and Patau, and Saint Helens was was Lewitt. Lewitt was her name. Um, and the reason that the myth is called the Bridge of the Gods is the two tribes' territories were separated by the river, and. Ooh. And when they were at peace, the god created a bridge that crossed that river. Uh-huh. And that bridge was called the Tamanwamas, or the Bridge of the Gods. Huh. And the spot where that bridge used to be, there is a modern-day bridge that is right there. That is
0: also called Bridge of the Gods.
1: It's maybe 10 miles upstream from where I live. Uh-huh.
0: Mm-hmm. That's cool. I'll make a hush. Oh, my gosh. Well. Oh. Uh, so, what inspired you to write about all this? So, I had heard about the Bridge of the Gods myth for many years, but oh. what
1: really inspired me was when I was, um, when I was attending college at Washington State. There's was a campus in Vancouver. The and I, I took History 305, which is a Native American history course, and. <laughs> It had actually just become a requirement in the state of Washington for students to take a Native American history course if they wanted to be teachers. Um, And the teacher who taught that class is the director of of Native American affairs uh, at the university and Native American history is his subject, that's what he studies. And what he told us is that most people don't pay attention to and they don't care about Native American myths. They don't make the connection between myth and reality. They don't realize that these stories aren't just stories, they're representative of things that actually happened. And I found that very bothersome that people would just ignore these stories and just dismiss them as total myths when in reality they're representative of events that have happened. And so I felt very compelled to try and share some of these, these stories. I'm part native American myself. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm actually part Cherokee. Um, so d- different tribe, but I still felt compelled to try and share some of these stories, um, in a way that might help people realize and understand that they're not just myths that can be ignored.
0: They're important. That's enough of that. i I've heard for years and years that even myths and legends and stuff like that, there's always there's always some truth behind stories that other people are telling, even if they seem fictional. So it's really interesting that he was he was pushing that idea. That's that's really forward thinking. And I'm I'm honestly, that's it's really amazing that you were able to take that and then write this book. So does, did the writing energize or exhaust you? I think
1: it it kind of did a little bit of both. It really depended upon where I was at in the book. Um, there were some parts of it that that were exhausting. Once I got past the first section, and I started getting <laughs> into and I started getting into the point of the of the myth where where the where the woman where Lewitt came into the picture. That dynamic shift, trying to find the best way to handle that shift in dynamics, and bringing that third character in was i think the hardest part for me integrating her into the story in a way that that stayed true to the spirit of the myth but also did also try to uh, keep to, to keep to history to some extent and i mean i ha- i ha- i had to do some research and well how would a chief court someone who he wants to be his wife mm-hmm. There was a lot of things I could not find. So I, I unfortunately had to take some creative liberties in that, in that department, but I did try to find a middle ground. Mm-hmm. And that I think was the hardest part. I actually had to pause and take a, a little bit of time to try and figure out where do I want to go forward with this? I don't want it to appear modern, but at the same yeah. time I can't make like, it appear like it's completely foreign and not understandable
0: yeah so um you mentioned the the first section what was your what was your like writing process so for Uh, me
1: I pretty much just I pretty much sat down I had the myth written out in front of me mm -hmm. and I sat down and I looked at the myth and I started thinking about things that were not mentioned in the such yeah. as a section of the myth where it said, due to their wicked deeds, Sahali the god, took away their ability to make fire. So There's I had it. to look at that and I had to think, okay, what sort of things would they have done that would yeah. have made Sahali do that? And so for that, I had to look to a, another myth. Another myth inspired me, a story of these evil creatures that existed in Spirit Lake, which is at the base of St. Helens. Um uh, uh-huh. And they had the head of a fish and the body of a man, and they were man-eaters, and they were terrifying and whatnot. And, um, and so I, I, took, I, took a, I took them from that myth and applied them to this story, and that's how I came up with the idea of the tribes being at war with these creatures. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that that was something that Sahali didn't want, and that was the mm-hmm. wicked thing that they had done. Things like that, basically. Reasons behind some of the things that were going on in the myth, so i had to get that that was the first section for me was figuring out the background what what was the setting what was going on there and that was a little bit that actually that actually was the easy part for me once i got into the myth itself it was challenging for me to try and find enough information without it seemed too straightforward yeah the myth itself is actually pretty straightforward it was filling in the blanks for me that took the longest amount of time. But I tend to be very chronological when I write. I, I, I will sit down, I will write a prologue, I will write the first chapter. And then from there, I, I will I will figure, I usually kind of just figure it out chapter by chapter is how I go. Mm-hmm. I look at how I ended the previous chapter and then I try and decide, okay, do I want to continue on with this section of the story, this this character arc, or do I want to shift gears to another character, maybe introduce a new character and flip back and forth.
0: You said that you had worked with writing like your history teacher taught you. So would you consider yourself sort of an analytical writer or a very free flowing sort of from chapter to chapter writer?
1: I tend to be free free flowing really. I've been writing pretty much my entire life. Um, But this (laughs) is the first time I've done anything professionally. Um, I've written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of not just school essays and whatnot, but hundreds and hundreds of short of, of, of fictional things as well that, you know, are sitting in a drawer somewhere at my house. Um, actually like a whole cabinet worth really. So I tend to be very free flowing and just, 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 I just, the hardest part for me is just getting that first sentence down. I and mean, yeah. once I got that first sentence down, it just it just kind of just comes, and I just I just mm-hmm. let it.
0: Yeah. So that writing down that first sentence and how did you find that groove and what tips would you give to new aspiring writers and finding their sort of groove and movement in writing? Well, I would do
1: different things depending upon what I felt would work best. Sometimes I would play music. Um, mm-hmm. I have a list of songs that that I feel are connected to things that I'm writing. And if I'm mm-hmm. having a hard time trying to get the sentence down, I will play these songs. And that helps, that helps get me thinking about it. And just mm-hmm. by getting me to think about it, think about the topic, I can start to work through it. Um, mm-hmm. Other times... I will check out books even other 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 books on mm-hmm. on the area that, that, that focus on the area that I that I that my that my own is, be it mm-hmm. books on the mountains themselves, books even on the tribes, the historical aspects, whatnot. Um, and that will help get me in the mood as well. Anything mm-hmm. that can, and then off, also I will go back to chapters I had previously written and I will read through them. Yep. And by doing that, I start to get it. I start to get the feeling of the flow again. Mm-hmm. And that helps set me to continue that same flow. Um, the advice I think I would have give to new writers. I think the biggest one is focus. You've got to have focus and you've got to have perseverance um there were plenty of days where I felt like I don't want to write I don't want to do it um I can't do it um I never really had an issue with writer's block I just had an issue with laziness but for people who have writer's block I would definitely encourage you to read back on what you've written Because Mm -hmm. even as you do that, it will help you understand, you kind of get a new perspective after you've written it and you read it over again. And doing that, it it allows you to see what kind of flow, flow you wrote Mm -hmm. and where, and it might even give you a new idea for a new chapter, something you might've mentioned in a previous chapter, but forgot about, it gives you a new idea, a new direction to take it that
0: you might not have had before. If you could change one thing about your book, if, if you would want to change anything, what would it be? Make it longer. So what sort of things would you like to add? Some of, I think probably what I would do is I would almost certainly
1: extend out the courtship that the chiefs had. Because I don't think I spent enough time on it. Romance is not my strong point of writing. And I think that kind of showed a little bit. But I didn't, mm-hmm. I don't think I dedicated enough to, to the dynamic between the two chiefs and Lewitt. Um, yeah. Because it went very quickly from two chiefs, from two brothers who were fairly close, to two brothers who were at war with each other. And I think I didn't, sp- I d- I think I didn't focus enough on that, on that dynamic change mm-hmm. on that shift and why I don't think I, I did. not I don't think I gave the jealousy that the Chuchis would have enough.
0: So um, are you planning on adding that into your new book at all? Or so the second one also
1: draws on another myth from the same region and mm-hmm. it actually does indeed focus on the dynamic of the two brothers as well it picks up fairly close to where the first one ended the myth of the thunderbird and the whale which is actually a very important myth around here because it is the one that is the most recognized for describing an actual real event that happened 300 years ago oh and um the area i live in is actually fairly geologically active, and um, the myth of the Thunderbirds talks about the great earthquake of 1700 um, that also caused a massive tsunami that even went across the Pacific to Japan. It hit Japan as well. The Japanese even have their own legends about it. So that myth is the one that inspires the second book. Mm -hmm. And so this one has I think a little bit more creative liberty in it because it still has the same characters and these mm-hmm. same characters don't really play a role in this new myth. So I have to add them mm-hmm. in and I have to carry the dynamics that I had from the first book over to this one. So you'll, yeah. you'll see the two brothers again, you'll see mm-hmm. Lewin again, but you'll also see some new characters. I've got Tacoma who is Mount Rainier. I've got Mount Baker. Um, I've got Glacier Peak. I've got Mount Shasta and Lassen. So you've got the whole range. Um, mm-hmm. Each one even has each. If you depending upon which tribe you ask, they all even have their own um, creation myths around them as well.
0: So are you planning on expanding into other books regarding those creation myths, or almost
1: absolutely you- I will. So this is going to be a trilogy. Mm-hmm. And. Once I get to the third one, that's where it's got, that's where history starts coming into play.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So what you're going to see is a transition at the end of the second one and into the third one of, of moving away from just myth and, starting, and and starting to see a shift to more historical. And the reason for that is because the myths that have been told are history but they're just not recorded history. They're, they're oral history. Yeah. And so making that transition over shows that these myths should be treated the same as the written history that we have of this region.
0: Mm-hmm. That's, that's really cool. And I'm sure that that'll, I do hope that that, that turns out great. That sounds really really interesting actually and it's it's wonderful that you're you're taking the time to try and represent again these different groups and show that this stuff is important to to everybody not just like the 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 history of these these certain groups but that people that that regions should start learning about it because it again it applies to the their physical surroundings
1: absolutely i i feel very strongly that the that the stories of the Northwest are very underappreciated um, not just in the area itself but even across the rest of the country and I and I it, it is my hope that there is a there is some level of understanding from other regions of the country that that this area is has its own, history and its own culture, and it needs to be respected and given the due that it deserves.
0: Yeah. Yeah, oh my gosh. All right, so we're gonna transition into some more, um, some questions away from the book. So, uh, what do you like to do when you're not writing?
1: When I'm not writing, there's a couple things I will do. I will be, I'm almost always trying to find something new to learn, or I'm trying to refresh my memory on something. I love different documentaries, so I'm almost always watching some kind of documentary. If I'm not doing that, um, I am, and still I'm very outdoorsy. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to be to to live in the Northwest. Um, outdoor sports are a big part. So, of course, I already mentioned I sail a lot. I love to sail. Um, I love to just cruise and sail, but my biggest joy is to race.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that that does take up a a portion of my time. Another thing I love to do is to hike.
0: And -hmm. it has the added
1: bonus of helping me think about the book as well because I'm hiking in the same areas that I'm describing in the books.
0: Yeah. You're taking in your surroundings and it's just uh, refreshing uh, to see that what you're putting on paper is also just kind of out there for other people to explore and such. Absolutely, absolutely. So which three words do you feel like describe you best and why? Loyal, reliable,
1: and fair. And the reason I choose those is because I am, I am very loyal to to people (laughs) that I care about. I also, I'm not afraid of really getting down nitty gritty and 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 pushing through which is the reliable part and then i also have a very strong sense of fairness Mm -hmm. i'm all about fairness i'm all about equality and i'm very in tune with that if i see something that i think is not fair i'm going to say something and that again is also part of the reason why i'm writing this series because it's not fair how these myths are just
0: being ignored yeah absolutely so if you had to create a slogan for your life what would what
1: would it be i i'm going to have to borrow from history on this one and i would have to say that it would be don't ever dismiss anything with the words it can't be done and that is a saying that is i think been lost in the northwest and it should never have been it was a saying spoken in 1917, by a man named William Boeing. Oh, I'm not sure if it's
0: the same guy, but would is same guy. the same guy that kind of same guy. He was from Seattle,
1: which is just north of me. Oh, oh. <laughs> so it is very relevant but- to the Northwest, and I feel it's very relevant to me personally because reliability and perseverance are definitely things that are that, that I that I
0: have. If you could invite three people to dinner, living, dead, fictional, or real, who would they be, and why? Oh, boy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to have to choose one from all three. Uh, uh, let's see. If It would be living. I mm-hmm. would have to go with Sig Hansen. Who I love. I, I, I don't know if you've ever watched Deadliest Catch. He's the Norwegian on Deadliest Catch. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it was dead, I would have to invite... Horatio Nelson, Admiral Nelson mm-hmm. and if it was fictional it would have to be Clive Cussler's Dirk Pitt
0: <laughs> alright so if you could read one book over and over again for the rest of your life, what would it be and why?
1: Um, I think it would have to be Victoria Roberts um, The Captain and the reason for that one is because that was actually, I think, one of the books that inspired me to go with Maritime History. There were other things, but that was definitely one of them. And that book is a fictional biography of Titanic's captain, Edward J.
0: Smith. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, if you could eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be?
1: Raspberries.
0: And why? Why?
1: I always loved raspberries. I would go out in the backyard and pick them right off the vine before my parents could even get them.
0: So if you could instantly learn any skill, what would it be and why?
1: Shipbuilding. For me, because I always loved maritime history, I've always loved the ocean, and for me to learn, Mm -hmm. if I could learn that instantly, I'd be very happy.
0: Yeah, and I mean, like mean, that's a that's a really intense craft. So yeah, that'd be a that's a really like specific and interesting skill that you could start an entire new career on. Wow! Mm-hmm. If you could choose to be an animal, what would you be and why? I would choose almost
1: certainly to be a killer whale, an orca. There is a couple reasons for that. One, mm-hmm. they are very relevant. They're they are in a way their own symbol of the Northwest um they and they are i believe are equals we rule the land they rule the sea
0: yeah what would you like to be known for i think i would like to be known
1: if i ever did become famous i think i would like to be known for sticking to my principles i think that I think if I ever did become famous, I think the tabloids would find me very uninteresting.
0: There are now 25 hours in a day. How do you spend your extra hour?
1: Either reading or writing, almost certainly. I can't really sit around and and do, just sit sit there and not do something. I constantly Mm -hmm. have to be doing something. And it doesn't have to be anything physical um, either. It just needs to be something that keeps my mind
0: occupied. This last section of questions that we have are quick fire, which are don't think just answer. So okay. uh deep sea or outer space. Outer space. Yeah. <laughs> Spring, summer, winter, or fall? Summer. Salty or sweet? Sweet. Day or night? Day. Pancakes or waffles? Pancakes. Um chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate. Coca-Cola or Pepsi. Coke. Hamburgers or hot dogs. Hamburgers. Fruits or vegetables. Fruit. Gold or silver? Gold. Ketchup or mustard? Ketchup. Sandals or sneakers? Sneakers. Milky Way or Snickers. Oh, (laughs) Snickers. All right. So those are all the questions that I have for you today. Thank you so much for sitting down and sharing. It was truly inspirational and just wonderful to hear from your side of things and how you just, again, went into your book and kind of just put it out there. That was, was really nice. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right. Have a wonderful day.